myself Everything gonna be all right I said Everything will be all right Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality IAQ Radio for Friday, April 25th, 2015. This week's episode is number 365. I am Cliff Zeman Zlotnick, and I'm in Studio C in McKees Rocks, PA. Our engineer, John, you got to have faith, is at the controls at IEQ Training and IEQ Radio Headquarters in Indian Lake, PA. And Radio Joe Hughes will be joining us from his class at Greenville Tech in Greenville, South Carolina. This week, our guest is David Mason, president of Atlantic Restoration Services, who has pioneered SaniClean, a high-performance process for environmental cleaning. But before we start our interview, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products services. You can stream the show from our website homepage or follow the link that says go to the show for streaming or downloading. You can also subscribe on the iTunes podcast area. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Now for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. I'm sorry to report that there was no correct answer to last Friday's IEQ radio trivia question. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, April 24th, 2015, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Spash Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is trsca.org. Now for today's IEQ Radio Trivia Question. Willis Whitfield was an American physicist and inventor. What invention is he known for? Today's guest is David Mason. David is senior consultant and president of Atlantic Restoration Services, providing disaster restoration service across the United States. Atlantic offers complete building and contents decontamination services and repairs property damage. He is a consultant for forensic building investigations, litigation support, and for property damage restoration, and is a qualified professional for arbitration, subrogation, appraisals, and court proceedings. Dave Mason has spoken internationally on restoration and microbial remediation topics regarding the use of engineering controls and containment for remediation projects. Atlantic Restoration has command centers with warehouse facilities along with contents processing plants in both Atlanta and West Palm Beach. David, are you there? We have some intro music for you. Because you know I just can't clean this place. Clean this place is too much trouble. I just can't clean this place. Clean this place and need a double. I just can't clean this place. Clean this place a dirty rebel. I just can't clean this place. Clean this place. Splash, 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 splash. Yeah, it's pretty clear that I ain't got a clue. Can't keep my house clean, clean like I'm supposed to. Okay. 
Thanks for joining us, Dave. Uh, Doug Conan's already answered the uh, trivia question. Uh, nice job, Doug. Okay, Dave, uh, let's tell our audience how you got into the disaster restoration field. I got into disaster restoration by doing uh, heavy-duty uh, tree removal and debris cleaning back in the late 70s. We uh, started with a uh, tree service company and responded to storms and cats and uh, local events, and that morphed. We added to our menu of services as our clients requested more and more services on the emergency end of the disaster response. So we, over the years, have built our menu and trained and have become a full-service company. Well, what piqued your interest in cleaning for people that have special needs? After inspecting many losses at medical facilities, residences, Observe that many people that have medical conditions are living uh, in or recovering in some very unsanitary conditions. And uh, many of these people don't have a great deal of wherewithal. Some do, some do not. But many are too sick to clean for themselves or their family doesn't help them out. Or for some reason, they just don't hire outside people to help them. And it's, it's a real problem. Uh, we've had uh, probably my first Santa Clean project was a mold cleanup for a client that had emphysema. Uh, it was a very sad situation. She had a, a Cat 3 water loss and met with the adjuster on site during the emergency phase of the project. And uh, really, the adjuster or the insurance company was willing to make no special considerations for her circumstances and just... Uh, really tried to f force a very generic scope of work on her while she's walking around attached to oxygen. And I just thought that was wrong. So that was the first inkling that you had in terms of doing something different than standard, uh, than what would be called for by water damage, you know, standard operating procedure. Right. We, uh, really brings to your attention that maybe just the average uh, goal is not quite enough here. We're going to need to do something a little better because her property was actually very well cared for. And the scope of work that the adjuster wanted would not even bring it back to where it was. So it, it makes you think that there's a great deal of need out here for people that don't realize how bad their situation is. As professionals, we know we can assess a loss. We can look at a property, and we can see the, the microbial problems, dust accumulation. And I think it's, it's very important to clean to a higher standard in, in these circumstances. Are you aware of other companies that are offering uh, competitive service? I really specifically don't know of any that are doing this. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of companies that do uh, hospital work, that do, of course, do residential cleaning and restoration, but I don't know of anyone that specializes in this area. You know, one of the things that, you know, you mentioned, um, is clean rooms and how does this clean room technology enter into your Santa clean process? Well, we use some of the basic principles of uh, clean rooms and uh, basic remediation practices uh, and hospital cleaning techniques to uh, accomplish our goals in our Santa cleaning. One of the, we use uh, the ISO clean room standards to judge how, when we meet with a client and analyze their needs, exactly how clean they need to be. Whether you use the, uh, the ISO classes or the uh, Federal Standard 209, 
mostly what we're aiming for is a uh, class 10 federal or an ISO 4 where you've got uh, five micron counts below 50 uh, one micron counts below 500 and people who are sicker than that or require a higher standard are going to move into a class 10 or a class 1. Usually a class 10 where you've got uh, no particulate, maybe single digit particulate above 5 micron and in the, uh, in the double digits uh, above 1 or above 0.5. Very, very few in a residential setting or in a hospital setting can really maintain a class one or an ISO three clean room where you have no particulate over five microns and double digit uh, HEPA sized particles. Now, Dave, once you do this cleaning, do these people go on a maintenance program afterwards? Do they have you know, friends or relatives or a maid service or? You know, who does the upkeep if the client is too sick to clean for themselves? Well, we two ways this can go. Well, three ways it can go. They can ignore our recommendations after we leave, but we we try part of what we do. We want this to be not only the Santa Clean process is more than just the Santa cleaning. The Santa Clean process is the ongoing professional maintenance and ongoing quality control until the client is recovered or until the problem is solved or until they can take up the reins of the maintenance of this on their own. And we do a lot of uh, education to our clients. We bring in, uh, they purchase HEPA filtration equipment. We try and get them good uh, HEPA cleaning vacuums, get them with microfiber rags, and if they have cleaning personnel, we, we actually like their cleaning personnel to be on site when we're doing the Santa cleaning to train them in the way that this needs to be done to retain this uh, pristine environment of recovery for the client because it does no good to establish it and then lose it. It's a waste of resources and it doesn't, doesn't help, help the patient. We want this. We want to establish Santa Clean, and we want to by Santa cleaning it, but we want to ma maintain a Santa Clean environment. So is there a definition for the for this environment? You know, for Santa Clean, do you have you know like a short definition for it? Uh, it uh, it's an environment with pristine indoor air quality an environment that has no pathogenic organisms viable in it. It's an environment that has a very low, low particle count. And it uh, is free of any type of IAQ contaminants. Okay. Fair enough. How do you price this service? Is it hourly? Is it unit cost, square footage? Well, we, uh, for the most part, we utilize the Xactimate price list for the area the project is in, and we, we use that on a uh, rate and materials basis. As uh, you and I both learned, uh, Marty King always said that cleaning is a process, not a result. So we charge only for what we need to do. It's not always clear or knowable what steps will need to be taken at the beginning of the project. We, one of the unique aspects, I think, of what we do is we're constantly, we have ongoing internal quality control measures. We're constantly monitoring with particle counts, ATP, ultraviolet light, how we are improving the environment. We don't, most restorers, they clean and they say, hey, it looks pretty good, we're done, and then they do PRV at the very end. 
that's not good enough for our clients. We have to do PRV continuously through the project. We have to we, we take particle counters outside of containments if there's remediation going on. We have air quality monitors constantly running uh, on a hourly uh, every other hour basis checking, make sure that uh, the air quality is improving. We're, we're constantly commissioning and recommissioning our HEPA air filtration devices and checking those with particle counters to make sure there's been no breach in filters and the exhaust air is actually pristine coming out of those. Uh, we check our HEPA vacs uh, all the time to make sure there's no breach in a seal or a bag, just to make sure that we're going in the right direction all the time. Good. I think Joe may have a question. Can you let him in, Chuck? Yeah, hi. Hi, Dave. This is Joe Hughes. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, my pleasure. I, 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 um, I was wondering about the surfaces. I think I may have heard you mention you use um, uh, some kind of surface sampling during the process, and I, I had to kind of change between two things there. Can you repeat that for me? We use uh, ATP meters, and we use hydrogen peroxide to check okay. the bio load on uh, hard surfaces. Uh, what what levels do you look for with the ATP meter? Are you following a specific standard, or is it uh, um, your own? We're uh, we look at the ISA, the the Clean School Standard, and at a minimum, we're looking for below thirty. Okay. At a minimum, that's a, that, that Clean School Standard is fairly new, and now I understand they're going to another uh, Clean Office one too, which is great. And then you're using hydrogen peroxide. How are you using that? Oh, in a more primitive way, just to see if you get any activation. Okay, that's, that's interesting. That's kind of the uh, that, that's what the uh, technicians use, and when it passes the hydrogen peroxide, then we know we're ready to test for ATP, so we don't waste a hundred swabs on every job. Sure, understandable, and um, that runs up the price. I assume you guys are using a, a laser particle counter, or a six-channel laser particle counter for the particle counting? We use Lighthouse, and then we use uh, a lot of the Dylos monitors, logging monitors. I see. Okay. Um, place that basically, I will uh, monitor the project uh, during uh, – I'm constantly inspecting as we're going going along to make sure the detail cleaning – happens the way it should, and uh, constantly doing a route through the building, logging with my laser particle counter while the Dylos air quality mono monitoring units are in place in several different areas around the building, and those are all alarmed, and they have data logging capabilities. Uh, do you have remote capabilities to check in on those from remotely? No, I do not. Uh, and, like, I have one other question on the uh how do you treat mechanical systems differently than what most people would do is that or is that something we should go into later cliff i think we should that. pick it up later joe okay all right um okay cliff those are the main things i wanted to grab and let me jump back in whenever uh, you, you think it's a good time yeah no problem i think we're gonna lay you know continue to lay groundwork and i think the second half of the show we're probably going to get you know more into the processes and, and procedures. Dave, is, is money a problem uh, on these projects? Who pays for the service? Normally, and unless now some maybe twenty five percent of these that we do start with a claim with an insurance loss, sewage loss, water loss, mold damage, and in those situations, the carrier is going to fund for the normal and customary charges to bring the structure back to its pre-loss condition. And then the enhanced Santa cleaning will be paid by the building owner. And one of the problems uh, you can run into some of these projects is clients that uh, are self-funded that do a great, great deal 
of testing from a lot of different people and seek a lot of different opinions from a lot of different people and spend a great deal of money on that and they don't really have the wherewithal then to take the project as far as the actual cleaning goes to where it needs to be. So instead of running out of gas, they run out of dough. That's right. Well, they, they run out of gas because they drive in circles for too long in right, right. their destination. Gotcha. They, okay. uh, there's a lot of consultants or mold testers that will see, actually see visible mold growth, and they still want to do extensive testing. And that, that creates a problem on an uninsured loss where people have limited resources. Uh, I like to see people spend money on the cleaning and not overanalyzing the situation before because it's very difficult to analyze these situations really in, until you start to begin the cleaning up. We believe we, we inspect while we clean. We're constantly re-inspecting. And during the course of cleaning is usually where you find additional problems that may be the real problem Maybe it was a real problem in the beginning. What sorts of people do you normally work for? I mean, you know, your typical clients, if you had to categorize them, could you just give us, um, you know, the, the majority classes that they would fall into? Majority of our clients have either had an insured loss or they're recovering from a surgery or they have some type of definable medical condition, cancer, emphysema, heart disease, some type of pulmonary renal failure, something like that. Okay. All right. Um, so in, it, is it, must you determine the actual cause of the occupant's difficulties in order to help them? Well, it's it's good to know what their problem is, but obviously I'm going to leave that to the physician. Many times our referrals come from oncologists, uh, ear, nose, and throat physicians, uh, and I like to counsel with them and partner with them to determine what type of an environment their patient may need and what we can create. Would it be fair to say that your clients come from, I guess, mainstream medicine? So would that be fair? We don't. uh, The majority of our clients come from mainstream medical doctors who follow the standard accepted medical treatment practices for very well-defined diseases and illnesses. We, we get some allergic people, but th- that's not what we specialize in. And, okay, so your, your goal on a project, again, would be what? Create a, uh, an environment that allows the patient to recover or to live with their medical limitations in a comfortable manner. In a healthy, in a healthy environment. How do you set and maintain client expectations? Well, we we try and communicate at every aspect of the project, and yeah, it starts with a very frank uh, interview process, and not setting the expectation of a sterile environment, but of an acceptable environment. As we all know, you can apply a sterilant and make something sterile for that one moment, beautiful moment in time, but it's never going to last. And we we try, try and get the point across that they have to uh, be involved in this process to maintain the environment that we establish. 
and uh, sometimes uh, for difficult conversations when you see clients are actually doing things that are contributing to their own demise. Such as? Smoking. Smoking. Not cleaning their house. Hoarding. Or having having a lot of pets. Many people have service animals, but as as we all in the cleaning and restoration business know, it's not always a good idea to have animals living in an indoor environment if you have health concerns or some type of medical condition. It might Dave, I want to your attitude, yeah. but it doesn't help your help your uh, vitality. I have a text question, actually. Can you comment on VOCs? Is that something that you would take into consideration or not? Yes, we would like to eliminate all VOCs that we could. We actually, one of the first things on an inspection that I go to is the cabinet underneath the kitchen sink. See what type of uh, array of chemicals are underneath there. And we, mm-hmm. we look at uh, some people think it's a great idea. They've had work done and they've had carpet removed. They've got brand new carpet that's off gassing or they bought all new furniture in an event to help themselves. So now they've removed some dirty building contents, but now they have a VOC problem. So sometimes we, we do some uh, bottle testing to determine VOCs if we think that's a problem. All right. Okay, let's start getting into the process of exactly what you do and, and how you do it. You know, Sears always had three qualities, you know, good, better, best. Do Is that a fair description of the options that you offer, or does one option fit all? No, we... As I said, we can establish, and we, we link this back to, to the clean room categorization. Different people have different tolerances and different budgets. So there are, you can take the Santa, because the Santa cleaning is a progression, it's a question of what you need is, as far as how far we take the cleaning progression. If the... Uh, we we stair step the processes that we go through just the same way that ISO uses to rate the clean rooms. We uh, try to benchmark some of these uh, internal quality control measures we take through fungal counts and the ATP readings to measure when might be a good stopping point to do a more in-depth final post-remediation evaluation. So we, uh, we take it in stages and obviously if, uh, monetary concerns are an issue, a client does not want to take the process further than they really need to take it. So we're always sensitive of that because many uh, clients in a residential setting are worried about the cost. That would be uh, understandable. Well, Dave, what I need you to do is uh, hang on. Uh, We're at halftime. Uh, we'd like to you know, thank our sponsors, and we'll be back in 90 seconds. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. We use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. 
Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Check them out at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services. All right. We're back uh, with Dave Mason, and we're talking about his Santa Clean process. Well, Dave, I'd like to actually get into the nuts and bolts of the process, uh, if we could. And let's talk about how, how did you conceive this? You know, did you hire a consultant to put this together for you? Did you do a bunch of research? Uh, how did you come up with the process? I, uh, basically, what we use is standard uh, remediation techniques, standard hospital cleaning techniques and uh, some of the latest uh, sterilization technology. I, all right. It's it's evolved, and I like to think it's improving all the time. Obviously, what I'm doing now is probably a lot better than the first time I did it. It also probably costs more than the first time I did it. But we're constantly looking for new techniques, and we're constantly looking for uh, efficiencies and a, a, an easier way to accomplish a goal. Many right. things we do are not complicated. It just has to do with the workflow and, and knowing the right thing to do and when to do it. In terms of workflow, let's let's chat about that for a minute. Sure. You know, in certain restoration processes, we might start at the top and work our way down. In other processes, we might start at the bottom and work our way up. Um, do you have a standard starting place? Well, just uh, to start, our Santa cleaning starts in our warehouse and in our trucks and with our equipment. Having good, clean, properly functioning equipment stored in a clean warehouse in a clean transport vehicle is very, very important in Santa Cleaning. We, we do not use the same equipment that we use in Santa Cleaning in any of our other operations. We, we, we have a normal through uh, our business between both branches attrition of equipment that we rotate from water losses to fire to the really dirty construction type projects. We only use new equipment in Santa Cleaning. And we purchase new equipment for these projects. We use it in Santa Cleaning and then it goes into the normal fleet for our normal water damage, fire damage, mold bio cleanup. So it, it starts with having very clean equipment, very tight vacuums. That you, so you're not going to bring anything in and make anything worse than it already is by cross-contamination. Our first goal is to do no harm. Okay. All right. So wh when we, we get started, we, we do always work from the top down to answer your question. Okay. any cleaning, any blowdown, because the first stage in the process is removing all the particulate that may be in the building. Everybody needs that, and in 90% of the projects we look at, there's a great deal of particulate that 
you know, um, it's a I like the technology that particulate matter carries microorganisms. So when you reduce the particle counts directly, you're reducing all the microbial contamination while you do that. If we could move over to the HVAC system, Joe had the question for the, uh, you know, from the first part of the show. Do you do anything uh, different to the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning system beyond what you know normal duct cleaning would be or normal restoration would be in a fire water damage restoration project, or even be beyond a NADCA standard? Basically, right. we take apart the air handling unit the way a Marine takes apart his rifle. Okay. And we we have a licensed heating and air person in whatever area of the country we are. We disassemble it, we lay it out on a table, we clean every part, and we put it back together. And while it's out of there, we clean the closet that it's in. And projects where the budget will allow that. That That's what we like to do. Because that is the main transport mechanism for many of the bad things that travel throughout a building. What about um, cleaning agents? What sort of cleaning agents uh, do you use? Well, we, we don't like to use anything stronger than we have to. We use some ionized uh, water with microfiber uh, pads and towels uh, for very, very sensitive people that don't have any active uh, bacterial or viral or pathogenic material, if it's just a particulate removal problem. We use uh, Essentia high pH water. To uh, We use it on its own, and we use it to mix any of the quaternary ammonia cleaning products that we use when we have to have to kill some organisms. Mm-hmm. And then we use, uh, as a sterilant, we use a, uh, a sterimist spray when the job requires sterilization for that one moment in time to bring the baseline down to zero. It's a atmospheric cold plasma with a low concentration, I believe 8% hydrogen peroxide and creates an activated hydrogen peroxide mist that has uh, reactive oxygen species. And this causes damage to pathogenic organisms by oxidizing the fatty acids and amino acids, which basically just bursts the cell, kills uh, all types of bacteria, viruses, bacterial spores on contact. And it can be done with an immediate, almost immediate reoccupancy of the area by the technicians. We, we use that in an ongoing method as kind of the coup de grace at the end of when we're cleaning an area or when we have to do any remediation for a, one of our clients. Uh, what would happen if a room had a suspended ceiling, if you had a void, you know, uh, above the ceiling? Um, you know, what would you do special in that particular case? Well, we would probably remove all the ceiling tiles and probably use the Pittsburgh protocol to clean above that ceiling because it probably would be a concrete deck with metal and it would be the perfect application for that cleaning method. Okay, so you'd wet, you'd wet clean it and... Absolutely. Okay. We would use that on any hard floors. We would use that in any area that had a a hard surface that could take a a pressure washing and an extraction and a scrubbing. What about uh, encapsulants or or sealants, you know, in in an area such as, uh, you know, a ceiling plenum, uh, you know, above a room, something like that? Would you... In, you know, under any circumstances, would you encapsulate those situations or generally not? Generally not. Okay. Generally not. We, we use uh, some from time to time if an owner requests it, but uh, normally we do not. 
What about cracks and you know cracks, crevices, things like that that you can see? You know, structural problems with the building. There might have been settlement or or whatever. So you know, you may have some areas where you're seeing daylight. Would you foam those closed or patch those or tape them or Absolutely. something like that? We would uh, any building deficiencies that we find, we would want to repair. Obviously, we're in the business of damage repair, and that would fall into that category. And uh, many, many projects involve some element of repair. Anything that's an insured loss is probably going to have some repair involved in it. Or many times we do a capital improvement, and they want to finish. Rather than doing a construction clean, they want to do a Santa clean, maybe a lower-grade Santa clean. So... We run into those problems a lot. Obviously, a breach in the building envelope is going to be a problem in maintaining our engineering controls. So we're, we're definitely going to solve that, maybe first in a temporary way and then uh, maybe in a more permanent way. Yeah, in terms of Obviously, we'd like to fix those problems first so when we complete the Santa Clean, uh, construction work doesn't undo what we have done. Okay. Um, a couple questions for you. Do do you use uh, HEPA vacuums or ULPA vacuums, and what's the difference between we use, them? We use both. Okay. What's the difference? The difference is the tolerance of the uh, exhaust. The ULPA is much a much, much tighter vacuum and more expensive. If, if, if we have a, a real Stericlean, uh, full-blown, where, where only the best is going to do, then then we will use some Ulpa equipment. And where and how are you using these leaf blowers? Can you talk about that a little bit? We use those for our blowdown techniques. We're, we're constantly, we're, we establish our engineering controls beginning of the project. While we clean, we always have air filtration, usually uh, eight air changes an hour, actually, in, in all areas. And we first do a thorough HEPA vacuuming of, of the area, and then we begin a series of blowdowns. Blowdowns remove the particulate and doing the blowdowns and followed by a particle count tells us a great deal of what kind of progress we're making on the on the cleaning. We blow out with the scrubbers running, we use the leaf blowers to blow out every nook and cranny of a room, get all the dust out of recessed lights, out of switches, out of uh, contents, if we're doing the contents in place or the contents themselves, and try and drive all that particulate into the intake of the scrubber. Hey, and larger you. particles will settle out, and after the blowdown, we'll continually vacuum the floor after waiting 15 minutes for a settle out, and then we'll take a particle count. And we continue that blowdown until the particle the amplitude of the increase in the particle count after the blowdown is almost flat. So we know if we blow it down and we count the particles while we're blowing it down and it doesn't change from the room at rest, we know we've got a pretty clean room. I think Joe has a question. Sure. Good. Yeah, Dave, I want to I want to follow up a little on the the um, engineering controls, the, the containment setup. Um, and I'm curious what your experience has been. Uh, are you establishing a negative pressure? Are you scrubbing? Are you doing both? The first blowdown we probably will do with negative pressure. In a, in a very dirty situation, we uh, may even just use exhaust fans and windows for that initial blowdown mm -hmm. and, and high negative pressure a lot more than just uh, 0.02 inches of water column as most restorers are used to using or four pascals of negative pressure. We want, when we blow it down, we want a lot of negative pressure. 
Now, many times uh, before we get to the Santa cleaning, we're removing carpet or hardwood flooring. So before we begin any of that, we establish heavy negative pressure. And what do you do? do? That, and then do our initial blowdowns with that, and then we move to a closed scrub type situation because Santa cleaning we're looking at the whole building. We're not worrying about a containment where we have the containment to worry about in an outside area. We look at the whole building as a containment. So all the areas in the building should be under scrub or negative. It's not one area negative, one area positive. We only positively pressurize area areas after they've been cleaned to protect them while we're moving on to the other areas. Are you and what about your um, your makeup there? Is all of your makeup there coming from outdoors? And, oh, and is there... we don't use any makeup air from out. We want to use makeup air from the exhaust side of a HEPA scrubber. We want HEPA filtered makeup air. So you HEPA it back into your containment, or do you use a separate HEPA scrubber? HEPA it back into the containment or back into the building. Okay. Maybe okay. even sometimes with a HEPA 5000 uh desiccant dehumidifier with the heat banks turned off. I see. Okay. And then um, when, you're, when you're doing your, you know, your initial blowdown and um, then with your scrubbing, do you, do you move your scrubbers around in the area so that they you know, capture different areas, or do you find that using the leaf blowers gets the job done without having to, you know, re, um, you know, turn your, your air scrubber on a 45 or whatever? Well, we, what we like to do is we have shrouds on our exhaust. We like air scrubbers that blow up to break up the stratification of the air to, to get those suspended particles, the very, very small stuff, to drive those back down towards the scrubber. But on all of our scrubbers, we utilize a shroud on the intake, a 12 inch uh, hard flex ducting with a heavy metal ring on the end and we move that around maybe on a step ladder or to all different areas while we're blowing down. So we're constantly, there's no entrainment going on where the air comes right out of the back of the scrubber and back in the front. Mm -hmm. We want, we want to, and we use cattails on the uh, exhaust end to, uh, to minimize the turbulence there because we want to create the turbulence with the leaf blower. And we want to, we want to filter air that's as far away from the scrubber as we can. So we're filtering the dirtiest air all the time. And, and can you describe for listeners what, what you call a cattail? Cattail is a, a section of layfat plastic tubing attached to the exhaust end of an air scrubber that's that's tied at one end with V-slits all the way down, top, bottom, and two sides. So we don't have a blast out of the, the back of the scrubber. Mm -hmm. That allows us to be able to vacuum settled out particles behind the scrubber while, while, we're, uh, while it's running without everything just blowing around. In, in asbestos abatement, uh, in certain situations, uh, you know, the company removing the asbestos we don't might do any be wetting. No wetting. Okay. All right. Is there a reason why? We. Uh, it makes it makes everything hard to vacuum because okay. what we want to do is get a lot of a blowdown. Get everything airborne, the small stuff goes in the scrubber, and then the large stuff settles out. We want to make it easy to vacuum and easy to blow. The drier, the better, really, for us. Okay, good. Fair enough. I mean, you're doing a lot of this work. and a lot. When, uh, we that, when we get down to the end, the particles are so small that there's really nothing that's going to make a droplet small enough to conglomerate particles that small. Gotcha. Fair enough. Um, how do you go through post-remediation verification, you know, when you're done? Well, we use a 
variety of, of methods. And as I've said before, that that quality internal quality control uh, runs throughout the project. But at the end of the project, we start with a very just a good old white glove visual inspection by a qualified person. Just just look around, use our eyes, just make sure nothing's been missed. Uh, is everything is it a dust-free environment? Is it white glove clean? And we will we'll take particle counts to make sure those are coming into line with the uh, the ISO standards or the uh, 209 standards that we're trying to achieve. Obviously, we want to meet those. That's that can be seen in real time. And we will take we will take uh, fungal samples. We want those to contain uh, no less, no greater than about 50 total spores at the most. We don't do any comparison to make up air sources or to outdoor air. We don't. Our projects have to be much much cleaner than any outdoor air. We don't use that as a standard at all. And we don't really do a rank order comparison because there shouldn't be very much to compare anything to if we've done it right. We look for, uh, we, we don't want to see any uh, Aspergillus penicillium type spores, no more than five in a sample at the very most. We'd like to see that all the way down to zero. And we have a zero tolerance for uh, target organisms, the stack, fusarium, trichoderma, memnobelia, and chitonium. And obviously, we would like to see our ATP surface samples below 30, but probably below 10 or below 5 in the, in the most stringent projects. All right, Dave, what we're going to do, we're going to go to our roundup at this point. We're going to bring in, uh, bring Joe back. I think someone you know, Pete Consigli's on, we'll bring him in. And I think each one of us will uh, ask a final question or, or make a comment. And then at the end, we're going to give you, you know, the last word. So um, let's go to roundup at this point. Hey, hey Cliff, I'm going to have to run, so I'll give my question to Pete. Okay, no problem. All right. Hey, Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Thank Enjoy you for having show. me, Joe. You're welcome. to you. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up. Move him on, move him on, hit him up. Raw hide. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out. Cut him out, ride him in. There you go, Pete. I guess you got the next two questions. <laughs> well, how you doing, Cliff? Good. David, how's it going? Good interview. Good, Pete. Thank you. You know, I um, I, I don't really know that I that I have any questions. I mean, uh, yes, but really a lot of detailed questions, and um, you know, got got into uh, a lot of the specifics about the, you know, the processes that Dave's developed and what he's actually doing out there in the marketplace. But I, I kind of have an observation. You know, I was when I was listening to you on the uh, talking about using the leaf blower and um, doing the blowdowns or whatever you call it. I mean, I remember good old another pioneer friend of Cliffs of mine, Lloyd Weaver. Lloyd Weaver. Years, yeah, years ago after he, uh, you know, he when he you know after his pioneer work that he did in on location. You know, drawing uh, the carpet and whatnot. He got into the indoor air quality industry. I don't remember Cliff if that was in the eighties. Probably in the eighties. And he he started with this the old dust town. If you can remember how many years ago that was, where he would go in with those reverse vacuum blowers that a lot of the fire restorer guys used, and um, would blow these buildings down. And then in the nineties, I remember when Peter Sirk and David Beerman came on the scene with a lot of the indoor air quality stuff that they did, particularly around mold and sewage contaminations they they were they advocated also once clearance clearance sampling kind of got on the radar screen with the leaf blowers to use these leaf blowers and I guess there's quite a bit of maybe there's two schools of thought in the industry in the indoor air quality industry today on the use of these leaf blowers um 
you know, both both pros and cons of how they're used and what they're used. But it was interesting that Dave um, he talked about that, and that seems to be kind of an important part of his process, uh, you know, in, in trying to make these buildings as uh, you know clean as you can, dust-free, you know, particulates and et cetera and all of that. Um, but, you know, it's, Cliff, I, I guess over all the years of, of, of watching um, the industry evolve, you know, it started in the early days of, uh, you know, the people, where they try to define it as sick building syndrome or uh, building-related illnesses, and now in the area, you know, whether people are sensitized and, of course, another big... I don't know, I think we, perhaps we dropped them. Dave, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Here. Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you great. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think... Don, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I, we can hear you. I can hear you, Cliff. But I, I think one of the big things is that as uh, as uh, today, as the indirect quality industry has evolved, it seems this area, particularly in these uh, in hospitals and these kind of environments where people are, are you know sensitized to whatever with whatever kind of ailment they would have, it seems now a new topic really deals with uh, infection control and the use of different um, you know different pro- proprietary products that they use for that. So maybe you know Dave did mention that maybe he could talk a little bit more about that and the role that that kind of plays in a lot of these projects that he does and what his thoughts are on that. As, as far as this, uh, the use of Santa cleaning in a hospital environment? Yeah, no, Dave, what I'm talking about really is not so much the um, uh, the use of Santa clean, but just the use of different proprietary products as part of, you know, the way I see Santa clean, it's part of a process, but using uh different products, whether it be biocide treatments or, you know, some kind of antimicrobial products, you know, where do they play a role in, in the whole process? You know, how do, how do you utilize them and what's, what's your kind of thought on the, on those products um, in these environments? Well, we're, we're always looking for the latest technology to, to make things more efficient. And we, we've settled in on the Steramist to use as our final decontamination process because it's, it's quick and it has a six-log kill, and we can apply it and then get right back in to go back to work or to get the building residents back. Uh, we, uh, we, we try not to use a lot of cleaning chemicals unless we have to, unless there's something to kill, and we found that really as a, as a uh, disinfectant or sterilant or sanitizer works best. And for cleaning, when we need a cleaning solution, we use mostly the quat products, quat cleaners, and simple detergents if we don't have anything to kill. Okay, well that's good. That kind of makes sense. So, are you saying that then that on every on every one of these projects that you may have, you don't necessarily uh, do? Is it? I mean, is it standard practice that you'll you'll follow up at the end with with Ceramist or some kind of a? That's usually an enhanced. Uh, method if client can afford, if they need it. Okay. Unless we always use it on any type of cat three water loss or any microbial loss or biological trauma cleanup, bodily fluid, anything with any anything with any pathogens, we're going to use the steramist. Yeah, I wasn't. I, well, I, that's kind of almost a kind of a given. You have to use something there. But I, I was just talking just in general. We had some projects where. Uh, no, usually, usually that's a plussed up uh, method. From the basic Santa Clean. Okay. Well, great, Dave. Anyway, it's an interesting interview. It's kind of a new emerging little niche market in the industry, and uh, certainly uh, there's a lot of stuff in the I, I, you know, in the indirect quality. Dashboard's talking about that. So. Well, I'd, I'd like to thank you guys for having me on, and I think uh, you all asked some great questions. Obviously, we could talk for a long time and go in depth on any of these issues, but I think we've hit a lot of the high spots, and uh, I think this is going to be a uh, an emerging uh, niche for a lot of different restoration contractors. I think the uh, the changes in the healthcare laws. We've had several projects over the last year where people have been released out of intensive care units directly to their homes to recover or basically to spend their last days. And I think that's a trend uh, in the future. 
with the way the healthcare system is going, that people are not going to spend as much time in the hospital as they once did, and they're going to be sent home earlier, uh, earlier in their recovery process, which, as we all know who clean hospitals, maybe that's a good thing because hospitals are very dirty places. So I think there's going to be a, a big need for this in recovery centers and hospice and creating recovery environments with pristine conditions in people's homes. We've, uh, for many occasions, set up a virtual recovery room in, in uh, people's residences for that very purpose. So I think, uh, I think this will be a growing market, and uh, we hope to do that in the future. Thank you, Pete. Thanks for mentioning that. And always uh, look forward to being back here every Friday at noon. Please come back next Friday for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 